Thank you for that hymn. It's beautiful. Beautiful hymn. Beautiful words. <clears throat> this morning we're we're here. Who else is here this morning? God's here. I was impressed in recent days that sometimes we we think in terms of inviting God to be with us and yet in a very real way it's the stark reality is that we are in his presence continually. We don't always remember it. We don't always think on it. We don't always allow it to impress upon us perhaps like we ought but we are always in his presence this morning i invite you to turn to the gospel of matthew thinking about god and his care for us and we won't be looking at the, the Beatitudes in their entirety, but I want to draw some thoughts that have challenged me again and again and been reminded of. In the book of the Gospel of Matthew, there are seven instances where our Lord had something very special to share on a mountain. And um, while many in life perhaps don't give a lot of attention to the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes here, there are some very important, seemingly simple, but yet profound and very important things that must occur in our hearts. And we'll be focusing only on a very small portion this morning. Things that lend themselves to making us what God wants us to be. Fulfilling the requirements he puts on the child of his. Sometimes... The, the aspect of our confidence in him can be seen in different ways. The fear factor of what we need to do to make it work out for us. And, um, you know, there are those in, in life around us that and perhaps among us at times that struggle if, if they're In the gray, walking in the grace of God, if they are safe in the in the presence of God, and I was blessed as I pondered again the benediction, the words there in Jude. When we look to the Father in that prayer, there, He is able to keep us from falling. He is able to keep us from falling. I'm not sure if, if you can look back in your life experience in, in a literal sense or in a figurative sense, a spiritual sense, had that fear of falling. 
that you weren't able to hold on any longer. I remember one account where a man was talking about hanging off the edge of a roof and how it affected him. And it caused me to reflect in my own experience. And I remember a time when I was trying to move an old Mayrath elevator into a barn and we would move it around by hand some and it was it was an arm load, so to speak. And you had to get it balanced and you had to, if you had any bump in the past pathway or a bump at the barn bridge or anything, you had to get speed up to get it over it in your own limited strength. And uh, in attempting to do that one time, we, the one we had had a, a long piece of shaft sticking out at the bottom. So you would usually grab the little hitch tongue and that shaft and that was how you carried it, steered it. And I had it up and was moving as fast as I could and, and hit that obstacle to get it across. But the, the force was not equal to the task and so I ended up thinking I could, wasn't going to lose it, but it actually tipped over the other way, and I was up there hanging on, trying to decide how to get down. I was on the high side of the seesaw, so to speak. <laughs> Thankfully, it wasn't a, a, a tremendous drop, but it was enough to make you feel like a sack of potatoes when you hit the ground. And then I thought of another time my children can probably give you some details I can't recall, but I remember, you know, we have dreams sometimes, and I had a dream, and they can be rather unique, but I was on a roof, on a ladder on a roof, at a, the edge of a couple-story roof, and, and somehow my ladder position left me, and I grabbed, I think it was a tree right there close, something, it was a pole or a tree. Anyway, the result was that it was a vivid session of hanging on. I woke up, it was a dream, but it was enough of a dream that it took me several weeks. I pulled a muscle in my chest. I don't know if you've ever had a dream like that, but my family laughed at me. I was intent on hanging on. You almost feel foolish, but it helps me to understand that what blessedness there is in entering into our, li our lives, being placed in his care and his hand, and that he keeps us from falling. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the, it's somewhat of a course of, of instruction and discipleship, and perhaps it's one that we don't utilize enough to retake that test, retake that quiz as we ought. It's also something that can help those that come to the Lord, our children, our Loved ones are ones we relate to. As we come to the Lord, we can analyze a little bit what is involved and how it affects 
our lives and how we are doing? What is our response? And I won't take time to read all these verses here this morning, but I want to focus on verse 6 in particular. Here we read, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And that, in a way, is an interesting statement because when we think of hunger and thirst, we don't think about how does that work? Am I... When I am filled, am I hungry and thirsty? Usually we say when we're filled, well, we've had enough, don't we? But in Christ's teaching, that element of his righteousness, that thirst after hunger hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It is a an element of our pursuit of him, our understanding of him. And it's also an element that as we hunger and thirst for that righteousness, the last one of these um, beatitudes, the state of blessedness, the state of extreme blessing In verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are to hunger and thirst after something that creates problem. Does that make sense? That has the potential to create problem. But one thing we can do as we look at these, these verses, we can remind ourselves and consider and we will want to focus in on, on our Lord this morning, but how he, as he taught these things, he, we can compare and look at his life as to how he applied it, how he lived it, how he was an example of it. Um, and I think we do well not only to read and pray on a personal level, but but with those we are sharing, with those we relate, with those we are teaching, to discuss how that applies in our lives today. How did these state of blessing impact your life this past week? Acts chapter 11, if you care to turn there, I'd like to look at a number of other verses here this morning that give us some insights of what's involved. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, there we have an account uh, of Paul and Barnabas, but I want to just focus on it just briefly. Let me begin in verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. There was that element of teaching 
There was that element of making disciples, and this is what Jesus was doing there on the Sermon on the Mount as well, teaching us things we need to understand and embrace and, and apply to our lives. And in these eight different statements, some of them considerably unusual, some of them seemingly in a degree contradictive, that element of hungering and thirsting and being filled. How does that function? And the last one is, as I mentioned earlier, was repeated twice, but it's repeated once in relation to righteousness. The blessing of righteousness. Do we understand the impact of these Blessings. These are not mere blessings. Sometimes, you know, we think about that superficial, in a sense, superficial element of, of a little sign we hang in our house that says, uh, I didn't jot any down, but maybe several things that characterize, characterize a home. Or um, something on a little post somewhere that reminds us of something that blesses us. You know, sometimes we have uh, a coffee cup that has some special message or verse on. If you have a coffee cup that says greatly blessed, what does it actually mean to you? But the blessing that Jesus is talking about here in these verses goes far beyond that which we can look to God and say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for this good coffee. Thank you, God, for family. Thank you, God, for friends. And we could go on. It is a deeper blessing. It's, it's a blessing that you could relate it perhaps to in the Old Testament of the scriptures, we read about the patriarchs blessing their firstborn. That process was something that gave them something that they could never attain of their own, of themselves. And it brought about a change in their lives that could never have occurred were it not for what happened to them. This is the kind of blessing. This is the kind of significance that these things here in the Gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, the kind of significance that they bear. And so we need to read them with, with the understanding that they are life-changing in their impact on the child of God. <clears throat> the question for myself this morning how do I process that blessing I want to look at I mentioned the, the relationship of that blessing of the given to the firstborn but there's a few other places here that, that this word is used that helps us understand the, the weightiness of it turn over to Luke if you care to the gospel of Luke <clears throat> it's used a number of times referring to Mary and in her role, 
Luke chapter 1, verse 28 to begin with. It says here, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. With thee. Blessed art thou among women. A blessedness of extreme blessing. A blessing that brings high favor with God. Down in verse 30, we see a further expression of that. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. This is a blessing that exceeds the blessing of that sign on the wall. That quote on the mug. Finding favor with the God of creation. Finding favor with the God of of heaven. It is a different perspective. Verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And one more I want to read from that that area in verse 42. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, this is um, interchange between Mary and Elizabeth. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Deeply, tremendously blessed. A blessing that could not have come upon her were it not for the hand of God. These things that we are looking at back here in, in, the Gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, are blessings that are for the children of God, are for His disciples. As we follow Him, as we understand that these things bear fruit, they have an impact in my life and yours that we cannot attain through any other way through any other source. But there is a blessedness as we apply them, understand them, are humbled by them, as they cause us to repent and reflect, to guide us. And as we read in in verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The blessing of, of sensing that in our lives, of, of the special privilege to seek Him, to pursue Him. You know, in all of these steps that are listed here, seven steps perhaps we could say to those things that bring a Christ-likeness. How is that? We understand them. But then when what happens in our hearts when we understand that the the result can also include some 
in the flesh some undesirable aspects, do we count that greater blessing from God to overrule and override the potential impact of those other things that we perceive in a negative sense at times, and yet we need to remind ourselves the mind and heart of God, His will for us is above and beyond the thought process of carnal man. Jesus said, he made reference to righteousness in another situation. He said, except your righteousness shall exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. What was lacking on their part? That is over in verse 20 in the same chapter. You shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And yet, we read in verse 10 that blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That same element of righteousness is named there uh, in bearing the fruit of, of making them a part, giving them entrance into the kingdom of heaven. What is in focus for you and I this morning? Do we consider it a blessed privilege to be called of God, to be inspired to make application to these areas? Do I this morning manifest a hunger and thirst after righteousness? We want to talk more in detail about that this morning. Now, this past week, we, Evan and I were away, and, and we received many blessings, more than we can file in, in, in an organized manner, in a sense. But I had to think, many of the things that we were challenged in and blessed in, in our own lives and our own needs, and working are the same types of things that you need as well as we do. That you need as fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and workers and teachers. As children seeking to obey your parents. And so when I ask, what impact does it have on my life? It will make a difference, not only in my life, but in your life and in the lives of those that look on. What difference will it make for those around me to, to sense or not to sense that hunger and thirst what difference will it make in, in your dear children if there is that sense 
that they understand that desire. That joy of being filled, but that continual pursuit of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Let's turn to chapter 6, verse 1 here in Matthew. There's a couple other scriptures I want to look at that help us to understand the significance of of what it's talking about. But here in chapter 6, we have the word alms here in the first verse. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. This word alms here is the same word referring to righteousness that Jews for righteousness. That's those things, those finances dedicated for the needs of others. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is some help as well in, in helping understand that. Um, Further, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. I think I have a reference wrong here, but let me, let me, um, to share that verse. I have it run down wrong, but it was in Spanish as well, and I wanted to look at it. Give me a second here. First Corinthians in my English Bible. That doesn't help very much. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse ten reads, Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. The fruits of your righteousness. Um The fruits of our, in our lives, is affected by what the the work, the hungering and thirsting after righteousness in our experience. So we need to keep that in perspective that um, it has a purpose in our lives when he calls us to hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled and it's to meet our need but it's also as we'll see further to manifest the spirit the work of god and uh, actually the the evidence of the character of jesus christ in our hearts and lives 
the divine favor and nature is not given to us to to show forth of our own, but to rest and rejoice in His provision and His filling. Um, that is, is a real blessing to us. Jesus, we've often thought of, of His example He referred to there in, in referring to the Pharisee praying thus with Himself. It's, it's not a matter of that hunger and thirsting after righteousness is not a matter of of uh, focusing on oneself, but focusing on God and realizing that in Him our needs are met. Um, I want to look at four verses in, in uh, the first part of, of Matthew there again in chapter 6, 6, 1 through 4. <clears throat> the element of how we present ourselves before him. I read the first verse here. Let's read a little further. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. That hunger and thirst we are to have after righteousness will accomplish those things for his kingdom, not dependence, not dependent on self-recognition as the Pharisee um, or, you know, the blessing of that result in our lives, of his righteousness, is different than someone holding them empty cells, holding themselves forward as an empty lantern without a lamp, without a flame, without a light, and um, expecting it to draw uh, and minister to those around us. And that blessing of, that blessedness of having his filling as we seek and hunger and thirst after him, then that light comes in. That light that cannot be hid. That light of the spirit of him who is in the world. The light of the world. And over in chapter, latter part of chapter 6, I want to look just a little bit. He talks about there in those latter verses, very familiar verses about righteousness as well. Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He said this after what? He talked, he said it after he talked about the birds. He said it after he talked about the flowers, the lilies. He said it after he talked about what's for dinner today. And the blessing of hungering and thirsting in this sense is different. It brings us to a different place than, than those in the world about us or those that happens to us should we... Uh, 
find ourselves in the complacent state of deadness in a form of godliness where our focus comes more closely attached to that which occurs before us and around us and which must be a certain way or those things we pursue, whether it's online or in magazines, those things, elements of um, having life in a certain form, the perfect recipe, the perfect home, the perfect... Um, I thought of one other thing I, I hear sometimes about it, and I've, I don't, it's been a long time since I even looked at it, but many of you might know more than I do about it, Pinterest, where there's a world, never-ending world of ideas that could have their place, but in their preeminence, they will very likely cause us to not be able to hunger and thirst after that which is most important. What is the effect of his filling in your life, in my life? Can we see each other that we're filled and that we continue wanting to be filled? There are times I know that perhaps we are, we feel more filled, perhaps. I know this week it was kind of like trying to fit a dump, load, dump, load, dump truck load of topsoil in a wheelbarrow with the, the input we were able to take in. And, and, and yet, we are to continue, continually hunger and thirst after righteousness. That comes through... Not shutting ourselves apart, but it comes through seeking the face of God. I appreciated somebody shared, I think, in Sunday school the fact that while we can encourage one another and share with one another, our deepest needs are met as we realize there is no one but God that can meet those needs. That spiritual yearning, does it affect how I face the day today, tomorrow? Does it affect how I think, how I respond when someone stops by, whether we know them or whether we don't? Does the fullness of God that fills us from that hunger and thirst cause us to, to speak of him without being able to help ourselves? What evidence did those around me see this past week of that hunger and thirst? What evidence did they see of me seeking it, of me hungering after it? These are very real things that we face in life. Where the rubber meets the road, is it not? These are very real issues that allow us to experience the blessedness of these things we are called to or else miss them. 
righteousness. It is a distinctly divine attribute that we should covet after, that we should seek after. As we hunger and thirst after righteousness, the scriptures and in Romans, there's a, a lot of references to righteousness there. We want to look at a few verses here this morning yet, the allowance of time that remind us how closely tied it is to to our Lord. As we seek him and hunger and thirst after him, he becomes real to us. He becomes, as I've shared some time ago, uh, some thoughts on God being our own God. And he becomes real. He becomes that which meets our needs, on which we depend. And when we think of him and his attributes, the more he becomes our God, the more your life and mine reflects, manifests his character. His righteousness becomes our own, not by anything we have done, but because of that blessing bestowed upon his children. It becomes our own. It becomes yours. It becomes mine. It becomes his. It becomes hers. It becomes to whomsoever will may come and seek it. Righteousness. That word is, is something that you may recall. I think it's been shared here a time or so, but what does it mean? Rightwise. Now, well, you probably, a few of you are thinking the clock is moving right along this morning. But look at that clock. Those hands are going around one direction. And we would consider it the right direction. Now, occasionally we've seen a clock that lost power and got started backwards or something, but typically they go around clockwise. And the old word for righteousness was rightwise. Rightwise, that which was right, being done right. And we think of the term counterclockwise, that which is backwards, it's going the wrong way. Right-wise is kingdom-wise. Right-wise is Christ-wise. Counter-right-wise is counter-kingdom. Counter-kingdom. How often do we think, well, I'm not wrong. My clock just might not be running quite as fast as someone else's in the right direction. Spiritually speaking, you understand what I'm saying? But isn't it sobering to think that our clock could be running counter to the kingdom of God? That our actions, our, our, our pursuits, our attitudes. Ephesians 4.24 says, And that ye put on the new man which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In righteousness and true holiness. 
I found it interesting that that word true is tacked in there. And, and um, in that way, and actually in the Spanish, it says, according to God in the, the Spanish doesn't use the word righteousness, it uses justicia, but in justice and holiness of the truth. It applies the truth to both of those. The righteous life that proceeds from the holiness, that which is revealed, that which is fulfilled in us and seen in us, witnessed by others, is to be the workmanship of God. There are other ways it's expressed in the scriptures. And it's similar to some songs we sing, Abide With Me. The Gospel of John talks about this, of abide, that thought of abiding in Him, abiding in Christ. How do we do that? It is a heart pursuit, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, a hunger and thirst, a heart pursuit of those beatitudes, those blessings that God wants to, to impart to us. But in regard to the text verse this morning, as we hunger and thirst after righteousness, that righteousness is Christ. Is Christ's likeness. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, 9. Paul said, not having mine own righteousness. And if you think of us as a torch, as a lantern, the emptiness apart from Christ, he is the life replacing that dead state. He is the flame in my torch, in your torch. Do you think of it that way? It is his light that fills us, his way of life. Let's turn to Romans, and we'll see there, Romans chapter 6, very interesting layout of contrasting this element that we use to talk about with regard to the, the clock, right-wise versus counterclockwise. But Romans chapter 6 compares numerous times this in the last part of this chapter, beginning verse 13. We'll notice a number of references here to righteousness. He says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. As we hunger and thirst after righteousness, what impact will that have on me? And what I do, what I desire to do, what I set about to do. Verse 14, for in sin shall not have for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are un, not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. 
Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. The impact of that hunger and thirst that brings the blessing, that blessed state of, of God's blessing and favor upon us comes through our obedience unto righteousness. Paul says, but God be thanked in verse 17. You were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. You see the contrast between the wrong and the right. The wrong and the right. Let's continue just a little bit further. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity. Even so now, he's looking back, he says, as you have in the past, it's been iniquity, iniquity, iniquity. Now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Here we have that dual expression, righteousness and unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What kind of liberty is that? Free from righteousness. Down in verse 22 says, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. What a blessed state to realize that he has called us. He has made his blessed blessing available to us. And as we hunger and thirst after him, he is able to fill us and to keep us from falling. You know, sometimes we think, well, is it just those things that we do? Um, Revelations 19.8 is another expression of this thought. And it's, it's an area that, it's a scripture that the, the expression of righteousness is is expressed in the Spanish in a different way because we don't have that word to use there. But in verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 8, we read, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. This is talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. The righteousness of saints. Spanish doesn't have that word used, but it says it describes it as righteous actions or just actions. So the blessed filling of God that results from our hungering and thirsting after him is truly rewarded. That following verse speaks of that. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
does God is our invitation in waiting for that this morning. We will not attain it. We will not arrive without diligent pursuit. And so I, I humbly submit to you this morning, seek him with all your heart. Pursue him. Because when we see those, those stains of our uh, carnality or things that we lack in Christ-likeness, it just reminds us that there is more to, get, to gain for Him. There is more to be filled. There is more to be pursued. In 1 John, there are two definitions of, of sin. I want to look at the last one here. In 1 John 5, 17, and it uses the description of sin is referred to in the use of the word righteous, unrighteousness. Care to turn there, 1 John 5, 17. And it simply says... All unrighteousness is sin. All unrighteousness is sin. We talked about that which was right, that which was right wise. But the wrongs that we commit. The right things we omit. How many times have you been convicted like I that. A missed opportunity. Something we. didn't do that we should have done. Something that I should not have done or good that I should have done. As we hunger and thirst after righteousness, may we gently rejoice, humbly acknowledge that when that element of carnality is revealed. Let's bless him that he cares for us, that he wants to fill us, that he wants to lead us, that he wants to give us that indwelling, that infilling, that manifests the person and righteousness of Christ. We think of the golden rule there in Matthew the right way of, of doing and being. May his righteousness be seen in me. I think there's a song, may his beauty be seen in me, something like that. Sometimes we don't often understand how, but I want to look at the words of a hymn here in closing. Not sure if we know this hymn. It's number 457. Brother Lauren, you can look at it if you want to lead it. It's up to you. But I want to I want to give a little illustration that sometimes what is entailed in in following Jesus. Brother shared an illustration this week of of his father that was not a, a significantly impactful father in his life. He didn't talk a lot. He didn't teach him a lot. But a few things they did, and one of the things that they did for 
diversion was hunt squirrels and go fishing. And as a young boy, before he could swim, he they they liked to fish, but fishing there in the river, he had this fear because he couldn't swim and and they would be fishing and need to change places. And his dad said, let's go up the river here a little bit. And, and he had this fear about, well, I don't want to fall in. There were holes in the river. As he looked back, he said, I learned something my dad taught me very important. And I think it implies in life, it applies in life in hungering and thirsting after Christ, after righteousness. That we need to trust in Him, in His direction, and those He has placed in our lives. Because He said, His dad just told Him, Son, just step where I step. In the river. Just put your feet where I've been, where I've already been with my feet. And there's safety in that. His father was higher than he was. He could see the holes down in the water. And it made me think of times when I've had the grandchildren go around the pond and look for fish. And, and I'm, I see this fish and I want them to see it. And yet they're enough shorter that oftentimes they struggle to see it because I'm up higher looking into the water at a different angle. And I can see the clarity of it better. And such wisdom. And his father's statement, just step where I step. May we follow the path of Jesus this morning. I'll read, um, just want to look at those words just briefly. 457. I'll leave it up to Brother Lauren if he wants to sing it with us or not. <clears throat> but I thought that the words at least embodied a lot of where we find ourselves so many times. May the mind of Christ, my Savior, live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power. May the peace of God, my Father, rule my life in everything that I may be calm to comfort sick and sorrowing. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea. Him exalting, self-abasing, this is victory. May God strengthen us and guide us in the coming days.